Welcome to a pint with Johnny B coming to you on a sunny summer's day in the Ivy Club in the centre of London. We're in a nice little room called the library, courtesy of my guest who's a member here. He is a man who is a advertising legend. Uh, I, I knew of him. Legend. Legend, yeah. Those of you who are listening who don't know about the ad industry, kind of fractured in the late 80s and he was one of the people behind a very innovative company called PhD. And welcome, Jonathan Durden. How are you, sir? I'm all right, thank you. I'm fine. You're I'm, alive. I'm alive. Um, You're happy. I'm, well, you know what? Life barely lines out. And if you wait for all the ducks to be in a row, then you'll probably be happy mm. three times in your life. You know, you have to compartmentalize a little bit. I heard a good quote recently, which is, happiness is when what you say, think, and do are the same. Yeah, I have to, I'll have to work that one out. I have to percolate that one. When you look yourself in the mirror at night going to bed. I try not to. <laughs> Come back to that bit. I'm not like I'm not going behind someone's back, I'm not doing something behind my own back, I'm saying the right thing, I'm yeah. being kind, I'm not being a dick. Yeah. And the ad business is not a great place for for that. I At don't least because know. the product is not even I bad. don't know, the ad business really surprised me. Everyone told me before I came into it. I didn't go to university, I didn't know what I wanted to take, and I bounced around a bit and Everyone said I was dog eat dog was an expression that was quite popular at that yeah. time. And, you know, only nasty people get to the top of that sort of industry, usually from people who aren't in the industry. And what was evident re- relatively early on was that actually cream floats, not shit. The, good guys, shit floats, the good guys do well. I mean, it's quite by exception, anyone that I don't think is particularly a nice yeah. person. No, you know, but I see a lot of unnice people do well, very well. I don't I mean, know. Every industry. Probably don't know them very well. No, some people I do. Know. Yeah. Okay. But well, you're obviously yeah. mixed with the wrong people. <laughs> it's not my fault. <laughs> Tell me where you came from. Tell me what. Where? What? You just said you didn't go to uni. Where? What was your childhood like? Where were you? Okay, born I was born. I was well. I was born. Doesn't matter. But I, I was brought up in Essex, in Gants Hill, which is like a Jewish place, and everything goes on in one square mile. You know, the school was so near the youth club, which is so near the cinema, which is so near all my friends. and I, So it was like a little microcosm, really. And I'm culturally Jewish. I have a problem with believing in God, which is a bit of a drawback in religion. Touch on that, yeah. uh, but culturally, I love bagels. And my father was a real character. He was the youngest member of the Communist Party at 11. And he went out and fought in Palestine to set up the State of Israel in 1948. Wow. He was at Hiroshima just after the bomb smuggling bearer bonds out of Tehran for a friend in the 70s and I grew up in a house full of books most of them had swastikas on because he would lecture on the holocaust and he would take me to libraries and hence I've never read a book in my life I've written but I've never read a book yeah well when you were in the libraries did you not read books? yeah I looked at pictures of cars so in a way my father was like many many people a very dominant figure in my life very loving very loving family never heard my parents swear Never heard them have a row. But I've never really embraced... Um, in my head, I can't see why anyone is worthy of God planning out fate for them. Or, you know, serendipity is somehow some giant plan. It doesn't feel logical. It feels ungrateful. The one thing all people and all creatures on this earth have in common is birth. But we give it no credence because we have nothing to do with it. It's very arrogant. If you think about the number of... the amount of time, planets, eggs, sperm... 
all that stuff. I mean, yeah, what are the odds of being born? Yeah. Whether you're here for one minute or a hundred yeah. years, what are the odds? But we're so focused on the other end, where we go next, yeah. as an intact personality, come back as a warthog or go to heaven or whatever. It just feels to me ungrateful. Exactly. And then, yeah, well, that's random, isn't it? <laughs> Who planned that? There's mm. seven or eight billion people yeah. on this planet. And I think without any boundaries, it would be chaos. And the one curse of mankind is that we don't inherit the wisdom when we're born of our parents. So we have to learn it all. Otherwise, yeah. we'd, have, we'd have to reinvent the wheel every time and yeah. discover fire and yeah. murder's bad and all that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. You know, the brain has its limitations. And that usually is the cause of what we think is something mystical. You are just not aware of everything going on. You can't take it all in. You can't process it. You can't reach it. And then coincidences happen. And when we do notice one, we think that's some sign. Divine revelation. It is actually a lack of bandwidth and it's a lack of memory. It's weird. And that is also arrogant. We assume that we, we have access to everything. But we could be taking our sponged, brained toddlers and not mumbo-jumboing them and filling them with philosophy and proper wisdom and understanding. Yeah, but that's in the eye of the beholder, as people say. You know, you can't say what is right and what is wrong. No, but the, but the idea that this, that revelation leads to a kind of a very, a problematic end where you kind of, you can, you can, you can give, make excuses for not, not fixing things. I suppose so. I don't know. All I know is you David Cassidy. Do you remember great. David Cassidy? I do. He was very attractive. From the Partridge family. Yeah. I can't remember any of his songs. <laughs> What did he say? I just remember lots of girls running. His final words on his deathbed were, boy, I wasted a lot of time. Yeah, and I thought that's pretty true, accurate, actually. Yeah, that so John Betjeman was, I wish I had more sex. Well, I haven't got to worry about that. But the, Spike but, Milligan was, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> they're brilliant. <laughs> they're brilliant. Right. I mean, they're only wise because of the last thing someone said, but they are funny. And how about, you don't have to go here if you don't want, but how about like this, I'm intrigued with your old man. So he was, he was pretty, he was very fundamentalist mm. Jewish. How do you stand today on the state of Israel and Palestine and all that? I don't know, really. Uh, I, I had never been until last year. My dad died 10 years ago. He was my hero. I ended up doing what I'm doing because of him. He was very caring in the sense that he sat me down and said, what are you going to do? You're going to go to university, what are you going to take? He wanted to be a psychiatrist. He had a really high IQ. I take after my mother. And he um, wasn't able to go to school after the age of 12 because they got bombed and you know, then he was in the Navy and so he missed out on all that. And I just assumed that a man as scholarly as him and, and uh, yeah. well-read as him would insist I went to university because vicariously living through your children is quite a common thing. And I was kind of resigned to it. And he said, no, I, I, do you, do you, why don't you try going out into the world, try a few things. See what sets you on fire. Right. And it's that. I mean, I knew he loved me. You know, we kissed every time we met. And, uh, you know, it was a very warm family. But um, he was thinking about me. He wasn't bothered about impressing the neighbours and saying, yeah. look, I've, I did my bit. I got to university and he screwed it up. Upbringing. It was all about... Yeah, oh, you've got to do this. You've got to do yeah, this. Yeah. But no, he was thinking about me and what was right for me. Right. And um, I didn't go very far a, a merchant bank came to the school so yeah, I didn't have to go school out or the average I did, I did I did enough to be okay Same, yeah. but I wasn't really turned on by anything except art and then 
I was went to a school which didn't have an art department, so that was the end of that. I was a straight C student. Maybe, kind of. I got four four A levels, I think. That's good. Yeah. Uh, Bs, yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. thing. I could have gone to uni. Yeah, same. But Dad thought. No, and I did everything my dad said. I, really didn't I was kind of ordered to go to uni by my dad, and I said no. Yeah. I ended up doing a sort of an advertising course that my mum kind of helped get me into because there was a summer course. So, was your now. dad looking for you to trip up in some way in the rest of your life? So Has, you can say I told you. So. Well, he's been okay about it, but but we have we have we stood nose to nose about it because he put a deposit down, and I said, well, you know, he said when I was eighteen, I could make my own decisions, and so I. I I managed to, and I started working when I was 18 in advertising. Never went, ended up not going to college, probably. Huh. Uh, but, you know, after a couple of years, I'm doing well. Oh, we always knew our son was going to be. Yeah. Right, right, yeah. right. <laughs> Which is fair enough. I suppose most parents would do. The only thing my father couldn't do, he spoke seven languages, God. you know. He wrote books. He was a real scholar. He was a freedom fighter. You know, he was, yeah. a, he was a volunteer. He was decorated by the, by the president of Israel wow. for bravery and things like that. He, did, he, did he hunt Nazis? yeah. So he's mates with Wiesenthal. I don't know. So don't I, know who, like, he was the main guy. I know. I, I think, yes, I think so, it. but I couldn't I honestly swear to it. Idea. But the one thing he left open was he was never really able to make money. Right. And so I was driven to try and make money. I wasn't born to make money. I'm not built as a person who understands a P&L or, yeah, you know, yeah. I see things. I can see the future. I can see opportunities. Yeah. But I can't I make like, them add up. Yeah. I need partners. I'm not the complete I item. Think. He told me when I was, I don't know, how old was I, 29 or something, I was working at WCRS. I was on the board, driving uh, whatever BMW I wanted, every six months a new one. I was earning, I think in the 80s, 140 grand. That's a lot of money. Even today it's, Even a, lot today money. it's a lot of money. <laughs> when, we, when we came to set up our company, PhD, my, my father rang me and said, um, I don't think it's a good idea, son because you're doing so well you've got your own column in the Telegraph that's his newspaper that was no coincidence mm-hmm. you know everyone's listening to you you're really well paid you're in a really great job and a really great agency I'm really worried that, you know you'll, this won't work and I said well for the first time in my life dad thanks for saying that but I'm doing it and that was a moment of satisfaction but I was 31 <laughs> you know it's a long time ago do you think that a lot of your you know it seems like a lot of it was you're trying to find your own niche that was different to his that he would yeah but it was a blessing prove of yeah it was a blessing he had mentioned advertising and in fact my first job in the business was also as a result of his newspaper The Telegraph in the back they used to list all of the television programs Border Television I remember Grampian Grampian <laughs> you know ATV whatever TV. all those were listed individually so yeah. I wrote to all of those companies from the back of the Telegraph getting the names from there and then I had an interview at Anglia Television and I'd been working in a merchant bank and it really wasn't working for me at all I was scared of the phone the phone would yeah. ring I'd pretend it wasn't ringing it's not great in a share department why were you afraid of the phone? I don't know I was shy I was shy then but I went to the Anglia Television and um, I loved it all these young people whizzing about it was in Park Lane it was really glamorous it was paid Nothing. Mm. £1,433 a month. A year. Is that the exact amount? Yeah. yeah. I can't remember if it was a month or a year. How bizarre. Like, it's the 70s. You've got the exact amount. 1977. But they didn't give me the job. And so for the first time in my life, I wrote back and said, you've made a terrible mistake. You should have hired me because I'm really keen. And they rang me up and said, okay then. And that's how I got in. 
This For the first time, people, you know, I actually sort of thought, Don't I'm not it. taking this, yeah. I bloody won it. Yeah. And I was proud of myself for doing it because I was quite nervous about it. Uh, I was about uh, 19. Okay, so 17. Yeah. I was cocky then. Were you? I, believe, I believed in myself much more than I would have if I got, like, I, I got made, it was only Ireland, but, you know, it was, I was made the um, head of Ford account when I was 20. Wow. And I thought, sure, I can do this. And I had silver suit and a sort of Chris Waddle hair and white shoes. But what had actually happened was the guy who was actually the head of the Ford account was a 40-something-year-old account director who had an alcoholic breakdown. Okay. And was in getting treatment. That's part of and the job, though. I know. And they were covering for him with the four clients saying, you know, we've put Sean on, just put your arm around him. He's all right. Like, he's not going to fucking drop balls left, right and center. But I was so stupid then that I didn't realize what was really going on. I thought I'd been promoted to this massive job. Well, you were, really. And I, I wouldn't have been able to do it three years later because I would have known yeah. that this was all <laughs> I put that down as actually yeah because I got confidence then and the lads yeah. really did look after me they were all to be my dad yeah but yeah what about you you haven't met your mother yeah my mum was um, fantastic a mum completely and utterly so if I was a serial killer she'd ask me if I've got a scarf because it's cold out you know, know she yeah, she yeah. was utterly supportive lunch with you. she, she didn't worry kids. about her Thelma was not the most important person right. everybody else a natural carer lovely person and never the nearest she ever got to swearing was saying conkers oh lovely um, the, the problem is if there is a problem and I'm, I wouldn't change her in any way or wouldn't have done was that she I didn't know who Thelma was I knew mum mm. but never questioned it because you don't but Thelma didn't know who Thelma was either yeah and I think that was because of the generational thing of, you know, immigrant family come over from Poland, yeah. tailors, or seamstresses, all that kind of yeah. that background. And they put all their effort into the son. So my lovely uncle, Norman, brother to my mum, became the Queen's doctor. And they put all that effort into that and then not into the older daughter because they didn't have the funds for it. Not yeah. for the, and the same happened to my grandmother. And that was just the way of things then. Is that up to you? No. What? The girl, your sister was the My sister was the rebel. Yeah. And she travelled a lot. And I, my dad was really worried about me. I used to lie on the floor underneath the dining room table staring up for hours on end. What are you doing? What are you doing? That's what I'm thinking. But he just didn't know where I was So you kind of were, you, you, you were kind of an only child. Like, I love my sister, but, but there's a four year gap. Okay. She went which means I was professionally incredibly annoying. Yeah, as a younger brother, I took that role yeah. to extremes. I would tap her on the arm all the time, relentlessly, never stopping. You know, absolutely pure old shit. And what about friends and all that kind of stuff? Were you, were you popular? I was popular. Uh, never had a fight in my life. I put a rumour around at school that I was, um, I was a trained boxer. No one came near me. But then there was a rumour that went around about a year later that they were introducing boxing and I shot myself. Because I've never hit anybody. I've, it's on my bucket list, so watch out, Sean. Watch it, Sean. Yeah. It's on my bucket list. Yeah. I've got to have a fight. Yeah. And I'm a very good right, friend of Chris Eubank right. and his son. I'm a friend of Conor McGregor's. Come on, I don't give a fuck. In the library, that. in the library. Okay. It's and uh, oh, like David Hay. I raise you, David Hay. Actually, <laughs> I can't beat your one, damn it. Yeah. But, you know, I just never had a fight. No, I talk, like My mum came to see me at the school, my first day at school. And she was hanging around to see how I was going to get on at break time. 
didn't know she was there but apparently all these older kids came over and surrounded me mm. and she got a bit nervous about that and then she saw my mouth going and they all laughed and dispersed and she thought he'll be fine yeah, and that's kind of the story of my fighting career I was the joker in school it's that you can make someone laugh it's that By it's way, a weapon same place to advertise I know I was most worried when my children were born all three of them my, my biggest worry was that they wouldn't have a sense of humour but happily they all do if you can be kind and have a sense of humour I don't think there's a problem no so did you get married early? first time I got married um, I met Laura well I met Laura when I was 12 then we went out on a double blind date with my cousin and her cousin when we were 22 we both got married to the other blind date, if you really? like, my cousin and I. At 25, we moved, bought houses next door to each other, had children at the same time. Um, and I was with Laura for 23 years. Still a friend still? No, she died, unfortunately. Oh, age 45. But oh. she had a congenital... Well, she was alcoholic and liked drugs, and I liked drugs and alcohol and that older. Um, but she also had a congenital condition, which is... What's it called? Uh, EDS. Oh, yeah. And that's a very overflexible joint, but it also affects the heart and the brain and mobility. And we didn't know about that. We didn't know about that. Your skin gets all flat. Yeah, all yeah. that. Yeah. Um, and the life expectancy for that is on average 48. Yes. She made 45, but we had no idea about that condition. And I assumed she killed herself, but she hadn't. Right. Were you still together when she died? We had split for a month. And then we just got back together. And it was, um, my daughter had all sorts of issues and problems. Um, I was daughter and my, you know, suddenly find yourself a single, more importantly, be a, a single parent. And I married a nurse for a reason. You know, she could, she could hold the hands of people who were dying, do the cat litter and, and hug a baby, none of which I'm much good at. But you have to learn, you know, you have to learn. Yeah, I, I am as well a bit. I, 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 I made that list. Them. I made the list. Of and I read about it yeah. in one of my research. That was very... Therapeutic for you. Yeah, yeah. cathartic. I was trying to Cathartic's think of the word. word. Good I'll word. back to that list. All right. So by the time you're married early, everything's going well, your mate's next door and his wife, you're also... You've landed in advertising, right? Big cars. Don't well, not it? for a while. I was thinking I wasn't staying in advertising. I didn't think it was for me, particularly media. Because it was full of table-thumping thugs, yeah. quite masculine. And it was, it was as you nice. said, a buying exercise, yeah. mostly. And um, I had a style of buying airtime, um, which I would describe as pleading all over the carpet, or bleeding all over the carpet, or begging all over the and carpet. And the free card, all that. Card. All that stuff. What? F1, F2, F3, F4, Goldspot, you know, all that. But it CPT. wasn't really for me. So I, I was with, uh, I met a guy who's a friend of mine and we plotted to start, this is before Tyrac or the shirt, a shirt shop, a shop that was purely specialising, called Montpellier. I And we were quite a long way down the line. But actually, around that time, the industry started to change. And because it had recruited people who were suitable to the old industry yeah. of negotiation... And I was more of a graphic artist, more creative. I wouldn't put myself alongside creative departments. I mean, yeah. I would now, but at the yeah, time. I was the same. But I, 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 I was kind of very different. And suddenly the industry turned my way. So I was a rare, rare blend of yeah. cocktail. 
was, it was more similar. appropriate and I fell in love with it and I remember I don't know why I brought this up but anyway you can cut it whatever I, I, I was sitting in this pitch and um, my PA came in rather sheepishly passed me a piece of paper I have wiped all of your slides there is nothing I cannot feet. get them back it was about an hour and a half into the pitch already so I sent a note up to Roger Matthews the manager director at the time she's wiped all my slides and I've got nothing and he sent me a note back I felt somewhat reassured that I was just getting a note back and he said I hope you can sing that's a great line and um, actually and you know what it was the best pitch I'd done that, for a while that one because you, it, but you have to you can't leave it unlearned that actually chemistry is all in this business and whether you're in the media department the creative department or a yeah. cow handler actually squaring up looking a client in the eye and ha- having trust you might not like each other but yeah. you respect each other or just feel that there's some energy there yeah. is very very important yeah, it's much people. more than half the reason why people choose an agency it's nothing, not people. always the work cause I remember the first time I went without notes deliberation of that like in a pitch scared shit it was like I, I, yeah. I just decided I was going to talk it talk the strategy I, I always did that by the way when I did it once I never and I went back to notes again in fact I hate, did I. I hate rehearsals because did I, I. I'm good on the day me too and I, I, I kind of but I would often be hung over what I'd do is I'd sabotage myself so I had an excuse if we didn't win it and if we did win it I would have another hurdle I got over it was self-harming in a way it's like looking for a landmine to jump on, going for it. I mean, in the most extreme version of this was a speech. I forget what it was called, Battle of the Planners. Natural History Museum. Two or three hundred people. And I hadn't been to bed. And I had no notes and I didn't prepare anything at all. So you get the big intro and then I'm on. I'm unshaven. I found it very strangely exciting. Yeah. It's like doing stand-up. Yeah, very. I didn't know what I was going to say. And I went, um, well, uh, as you can see, I haven't been to bed last night. I was Laps. drinking all night. Laps. I haven't had a shave. Laps. Um, but I'll tell you why, because it, it cares. It's not worth it. Yeah. Look where you are. You're in the Natural History Museum for a reason. Yeah. Over there, we spotted a skeleton of a Tyrannosaurus Rex. I said, look at that magnificent beast. The size of its legs. Look at the size of its jaw. The teeth. Amazing. And little tiny arms. Little tiny arms. I bet it spent a million years doing press-ups to try and get its arms to look vaguely Perhaps. similar, right? Yeah, yeah. But if it had learned how to knit with those dexterous arms, it could have missed a jumper and survived the Ice Age. And that's you lot. And then it went downhill from there. But at least I got that in. No, I, haven't, you know, I, haven't, you know, I probably was hung over many a time going into these, but I just loved that. But that, was a, no, that was just a real break for me. That was probably the time when I felt I know how to do this. Mm. I know what I'm doing, mm. and I know the, I know what I need to say to that person. And then I people who go, "You went a bit off script there." I said, "Yeah, I go off script every time because sometimes the room goes off script. Sometimes the client says exactly. something, and you need to go." I had, I had a couple of pictures. One for Warner Brothers, where it wasn't going very well, and I stood up in the middle of it and stopped it, yeah. and burst into tears, and just gave an emotional outpouring genuine where, genuine yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean I cry a little mermaid so you know, well. I'm screwed I'm, I'm yeah, 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 yeah. no, no thermostat no I just turned 50 I'll tell you about that in a minute okay. and I cried and we won the business yeah. because of that connection you know and, and um, an experience I had recently the opposite it was somebody else I met who was really brilliant and wonderful at their job but she was more 
interested in telling the room, this is a £100 million pitch, about the fact that she doesn't work on a Friday and that if they have the decision, they should bring someone else on a Friday. They didn't get it. And I think part of the reason might be that that the client wants to see people arguing passionately about their business and the feeling that they go the extra mile for them. And that's what they're looking for, not... Someone showing off the fact they can do that they job in a four-day week. On a Friday, yeah. I didn't get that at all. When did you become vulnerable? Because you are. Vulnerable. I've always been vulnerable. Yeah, but you, you. Part of my fuel. Did you hide it for a while? Mm, I don't know. You'd have to ask someone else because I live in my head. Mm. You so would say I, no. You didn't hide it. Well, my vulnerability would come out in that I would be a bottle, a bottle out. So if I had an opportunity to bottle out at the last minute, I would. You could have bottled out of the planner thing. I could have bottled out of anything, but yeah. I learned, having made so many mistakes, I mean, in one thing, I went to Reed's Digest. I went in to do a speech. I was in my 20s, and I got completely tongue-tied. I didn't know what to say, and I pretended to faint. And they called a doctor, and that was really excruciating. Yeah. And you learn. That's how you learn. But we made so many mistakes mm. that just got through it and actually learned how to deal with it. Learned you had more time than you thought. Learned how to make get people on your side to be self-deprecating and show who you really are. Not to make it a one-man show stand-up routine, but at least no, no, yeah. to get people with you so that they listen. Yeah. And then to do them the honour of distilling down into plain English what you're trying to say and make it clear so it passes the Uber test. Because when people leave the room, they can remember at most two things. So when you're sitting in the cab on the way back from a presentation, that was good. That was you good. only have to remember two things. You have to be bloody sure that they've got that. Yeah. And that's all. Bloody let them sure fall in love with you or hate you yeah, yeah. and let them understand what you're saying clearly and take it away with them. Yeah. And that's all about human memory as well. Yeah. We only have a capacity for so much. And I'd say that is a very, very big secret of winning. I agree. So for those who don't know a lot about the advertising business in the sort of late 80s, it morphed into two separate businesses, one being the buying of space and time and posters and print ads, paying ITV and, and commercial stations to run your, your piece, and that was based on volume. And the other was the creative side, which actually made the ads, and they, they, they split off, and then you split off your idea, PhD, which was based on the fact that there was a lack of thinking on the on the yeah. end. just at a time when it was getting interesting I mean this was what we wanted to do and this was our timing it happened to be the first day of a recession the day we launched which looked terrible oh, turned out to be a, 1990, 1990 yeah. February the 1st but it turned out to be the blessing the problem the thing is you can't control everything you're not in control of things so there's no point worrying about them it was our time and the things that we were good at happened to be in defiance of the movement of the A sector we did an unusual thing when we launched. We actually ran an ad campaign for ourselves. I mean, in this industry, it's peculiar, but nobody advertises it. And they do them badly. They don't do it. Uh, I mean, it's pathetic. We had out-of-home 96 sheet all over the country. Well, we got that with Finn to do some ads for us, and yeah. they, they still have this, one of the ads at PhD, they still have it in all the meeting rooms there. Yeah. And it's um, a media company that always puts their ad in the same place. And it's a picture of a head and a brain. And it, right. okay. it, it, it's yeah. in black and white. And there was another one, media company, that, all, that sticks out. And it's, it's a big fist with a thumb and a plaster on it. 
sticks out like a sore thumb in other yeah, words yeah. when anyone even the Sunday Times for instance used to run a piece in there ring you. about the zenith and what's going on they'd always talk about PhD they call you for comms yeah because we were the opposite to Greenwich. the movement you know that Levi's ad which we did we know the zigzag and it's the picture of the sh- black sheep facing yeah. in, in the opposite Which direction. That's exactly what we did. Also because that's the bit that interested us. When there's a movement in an industry, you know, the vacuum or the void that's left behind by that movement, there's always a really great proposition. Because inevitably it's not that black and white. It allowed us to actually attract the best talent, better than us, and give them room to make mistakes. That was important make people loyal by demonstrating how important they were. The receptionists at PhD are the same receptionists 25 years old. It was a time when actually staff were looked after better. I mean, I remember I was in Oakland. We still do. But your company was built on that foundation. Whereas I think all of the other, as they all got bought, turned into just this blancmange kind of every agency the same. I mean, I remember a friend of mine was out in Hong Kong and she, she was talking to the head of publicists who said, we just made the most profit of any group in Asia last year. And he, there was at some big fucking dinner. He goes, do you know where we got it from? And he went, the staff. Yeah, that's not good. In a, in a nudge, like, I'm so fucking clever. Yeah, I know, I hate that. Yeah, well, they're leaving you, by the way, mate, in droves. No, we, we had a rule, even, even in the early days, that if we didn't have such a good year, we'd make a loss at any point in that company, which yeah. is a huge shock. Amazing. But if we had a less good year, we had one year, I think, where it wasn't quite so good, the rule was the board didn't get a bonus, but everyone else did. Fair enough. And we took everybody away, five star, for three days. Always had the Christmas party. Good. Yeah. To, and we took 250 people away, including the janitor, the headhunters, everybody associated. Yeah. Everybody comes along. And we, we supplied condoms and club guards and a month's salary. Because those memories are glue. You have a golden period in your career. This is a golden period for this company, and we hope it is for you. But you only ever know that after the event and you look back. Correct. Just be in the present and let's really celebrate because we've got something to celebrate together. And we created a culture where we had an in-house psychiatrist, this is 25 years ago, Amazing. who was there for every member of staff. And the brief was, find out what will make them happy. Brilliant. And get people to actually think about that rather than just want to be a managing director did that director. also do a bit of planning on the side no <laughs> <laughs> no Ruth didn't but she was great and so you had that reputation and was when was you, so just go back to your thing now when did sort of you start feeling you were maybe drinking too much or doing too much drugs or anything like that how did that I didn't. start you didn't do it at all no I didn't think didn't it was think. a problem when did it start and how did it start Which I started at 20 okay and it grew what hot coke everything oh just coke right so booze yeah, inevitably, they go hand in hand, yeah, but I was yeah. more of a drug person than a drink person. So I, d- I made a decision when I was 17. No kids, no marriage, no drugs. How's that going? I did it all the way to Fort July retired. Wow. Because I knew I would... The, kid, the kids and marriage thing is easy because I just looked around me and everywhere I looked was just divorces. And I don't know any person who I know well who's happier after they've had a baby. Mm. None. Mm. So I didn't want that. The drugs thing, I knew I would adore them. I would be in the gutter. I'm a big drinker. Mm-hmm. Drink for Ireland back in the day. Mm-hmm. I decided not to. So when it, when I gave up the business about, so sort of back in the business, I was 47, 48, and I said, I was actually living in Denver where pot was, I hadn't even done pot. 
that was legal there. So I swear, of course, I'd have nine edibles and just be completely. I never liked it. I just, I'd just be completely a mess because I couldn't do it. Yeah. Tried MDMA two years ago, mm-hmm. which I thought, oh my god, thank god I did not do this when I was eighteen because yeah. it was just amazing. But I couldn't get it back. Mm. Got it one or two, you know, first couple of times, sensational. So I've kind of abandoned that. And coke, and this is where I want to go with you. Coke, like you are, you are a rack hunter. Your brain, I can see, is just moving at a hundred miles an hour. You're smart. You're on it. Coke keeps me up all night, but it doesn't. A lot of people, have friends of mine who use it, use it to get the old bravado to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah, it's a defense thing. Yeah, but was it that? Was it with you? I, it was. It became anything I could. Any excuse, you know. Any reason I'm upset, I'm happy, I'm elated, I'm celebrating. I'm, okay. I've got things to do. So I need to speed like up. Yeah. I need to have the energy to be able to work all night, uh, seven days a week, you know, for 20 years. It wasn't a big problem at all for a long time. It was really recreational. But it grew and grew. And by the time uh, I was in my 40s, it, it got really, really, really serious. But I've never been ill. I've never been touched wood. I've never been to hospital, never had an anaesthetic. I mean, I was quite disappointed, actually, because... <laughs> I was in the Priory, 49. And I thought, well, before I do all this, I'd better get myself checked up. Because it's not worth, if I'm going to die in three weeks, I really don't want to do this. I don't want to go through all this. Tell me about it. I spent three and a half million pounds there. Not on me, but on my wife, my daughter. That includes also all the dementia stuff on both my parents. So there's a lot of money. You know, there's a lot of money to me, but I spent an equivalent amount on myself. And I had this checkup from this rather lovely uh, French doctor lady. He was brilliant. She said, listen, Mr. Jordan, you're not supposed to give your body back in perfect condition at the end, which made me feel relaxed. I wasn't going to be told off. It's not like being at school and, you know, you didn't do very well at your exams or something. Yeah. So I had this test and then they called me a day later, rather nervously went into the room and um, she said, uh, yeah, you're in perfect health. I was really disappointed. I tried really hard. Um, but, you know, I don't. Um, I try not try to be more uh, contained in that area now. Mm. Not because I'm ill or anything, but because it's it's time. And you were a nice guy to I work so. with, you know, as a boss, right? Because you want yeah. you you wanted the place to be fun. I wanted, and I wanted you everybody to enjoy, and I wanted everyone to find out what made them happy. And we we structured the company around them. If you wanted to enjoy your craft as a media planner, no one could tell you that because it sounds unambitious. You've got a crowd that genuinely want to be managing director or chief executive. And then you've got people who want to be entrepreneurs but haven't done it yet or never will. So we just opened it up and we made two craft people for one managing director. So you had twice the chance to get to the top of the company doing what you do best. And anyone who had ideas about new companies and came to us, we didn't have to say, oh, it has to be in data. If it was a good idea and it fitted what we wanted to do, we would back them. We would split the profits. Did you so make a lot of money that way? A lot within of two years, the first four made more money than PhD. That's what I was going to say. A lot of and those boys have gone on and made more money than us. We, are, we, you know, we were the first into digital. You we were first into advertiser-funded programming. We had all these amazing companies, and it, they were out of the energy and the focus and the ideas of people that work with us. And then that's been extended since we left into something called The Source, where every, there's something like 8,000 staff there now. It's a 12 billion turnover company. But everybody in every office of the world has an input onto every brief, 
anywhere in the world. So the team if they want gets to. support right, from on. everybody. It's monitored and gamified, so you can see how well you're doing versus people in your office, versus people in your country. So I should contribute to three or four briefs a month? Yeah. It's not compulsory. I don't do it at all. But it's part of your assessment. I'm not a team player, right? Yeah. And you're assessed. So you have people who are in the finance department in Delhi selling an aptitude for planning and creativity or something, mm-hmm. and they're offered jobs in that yeah, new area. So you never need... Why is the whole leave. business not doing that? Well, I've been trying to persuade Mark Holden to come with me and launch that product. Because yeah. for me, that's the corporate future. That's If I'm Unilever, IBM, you've got tens of thousands of people working for you. Why are you in silos? Why are you not recognising anyone can have an idea, anyone can have a view, incentivise people, it's fun, and have a chance I to get a new job. something bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. It's, it's mad. It's, yeah. There's a, there was a cancer that came in, I don't know, started by maybe WPP that just, those people left and went into the other ones and it was just cancer. And we just like, it was just about resentful back of office people forming walls with front of office people not realising the front one of office. the advantages of WPP which I will say in their defence mm-hmm. is that with Martin Sorrell they had a leader who actually took part who actually which, which yeah. is a control freaky thing mm-hmm. but there is something rather good about having someone interested in the business there's a downside to that and Omnicom is the opposite so Omnicom have John Wren no one ever sees. Plays golf all afternoon. I'm sure he's brilliant. I've never met him. Probably a good golfer, yeah. But uh, he, they don't give a monkeys about your company unless it doesn't hit its target. Yeah. Then they're all over it. But we always hit our target. So we can pretend we still owned it. And that allowed us to enjoy our culture and not have one thrust upon us. Mm. What was your... So then... Can you go back? Was, was, was your wife's death a triggering thing for you then in terms of a crisis? Was that what Well, yeah, of course, yeah. I mean, my, my daughter. Is that what the reveals kind of started for? No, the wheels would have come off before that. Um, but certainly, it really, really was a wake up call or the opposite explosion. It wasn't expected. Um, and your my daughter. My daughter was very ill. Um, and. She's amazing, actually. She's now a psychotherapist. Okay. And um, my both my son's an estate agent. And it's, it's amazing. He's only been going six months. He's got like 400 apartments in Dubai to sell for the royal family. Wow. He's got an amazing itinerary and a wonderful work ethic. I'm really proud of him. But the whole of Essex now covered in boards saying Durden Hunt, which is, you That's know, it's kind of rhymes. Sounds like Fight Club. Well, Tyler Durden, yeah. Yeah, that like yeah that's right. It's the only character that's ever got my name, I know. But, um, yeah, I, I said it mustn't be Hunt Durden. I said it mustn't be Hunt Durden, because that's an instruction, and I don't want that. <laughs> anyway, that was a very dark time. I left four years after that, um, because I was just bored. But your coke was getting out of control and stuff like that, now, was it? Yeah, and then I went to Big Brother. Let's start trying to take a bit of this in chunks you, 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 how did you go, go on Bring Brother or why so you were, you were a media personality as well so you wrote for The Guardian and yeah and Media Week Break and your wish kind of Media Week and Marketing yeah, yeah, Week yeah. and all that stuff and then The Guardian and you were very rich at this stage well 
was but I mean, you know, you made your money. I you made money. Yeah, I spent a lot of it. There's nothing wrong with that. But like you were, yeah. You, you when you said you were bored, like, was it, was that what caused it? You said you were bored. You left the business. I left the business. Yeah, I mean, I, I was, I was bored with um, earning six hundred thousand, not turning up. Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. I should stay really. <laughs> but I wanted to do something else. So I joined an ad agency called Miles Cowcraft, which is now Lucky Generals, as a partner. I wrote a book. I met someone um, three years after my first wife had passed away. Um, and we had a whirlwind romance and we were getting married. And I put the wedding off to go into Big Brother. That's the state of my head. Um, because it came my way. I didn't look for it. Because I, you know, I didn't like the show. Apart from anything else, but I like the audience. I like the idea of the audience. I thought this is my only opportunity. I've done a thousand people on speeches, you know, in the same venue. I've I've been on the Money Program. I've been on Newsnight. Yeah. I've been on the Gadget Show, but I've never had a five million audience watching me sleep. Um, it's and I'm a dog. I'm a dog. I'm a narcissist, yeah. definitely. Certainly at that point. And I'm a dog. So cheap love is all you really strive for it well, yeah. you know my wife is a journalist um, was a journalist for News of the World and yeah. Cosmopolitan like, my current wife a friend of mine David Emin who's my best friend who was at Mirror Group or no News International at the time he introduced me to my wife and his next door neighbour is Philip Edgar Jones who runs Sky Arts now but at the time he ran Endemol right. and he wanted David Emin to go on Big Brother and David Emin didn't but he knew a wanker who would and that was me and um, I basically made that happen and went on and uh, you know all sorts of stuff was going on at the time in my private life but I didn't care I mean no, I just didn't care and in a way it did me a favour because after that went into some joint therapy with my she was my ex-fiancee because obviously she didn't want to hang around with me anymore. But we worked it out. You know, she came you, back. You seemed like you wanted to hit a wall. I mean, you came out. I do. Like, I look for landmarks. I said before, you, I yeah, look for yeah, landmarks yeah, to yeah. step on. Yeah. You know, you don't turn up at a pitch when you've yeah. had a big night. Yeah. You, you look for that kind of. I've never really worked that out. And you came out with all this. You were very overt then. Your grandmother died. I think is that why you. Yes, that's why I was right. allowed out. Yeah. And they wanted me back in. But then I got doorstep by News of the World. Yeah. You got doorstep and told the truth, and then you were all over yes. the newspapers. Yes. How did that feel? Um, it was you pretty lost your fiance over it, right? Yeah. Uh, but I'd people. already experienced much worse. You know, if you've ever held someone dying who's your wife, or, yeah, yeah. you know, had, had things happen to your children. You know, my son was nearly killed, uh, beaten up by a gang, my daughter problems. All this stuff bends you way out of shape. This was bad. But it was nowhere near that. So I could cope. This was nowhere near the top five worst things. And I've had a really charmed life. I'm the luckiest man in the world. Mm. Um, not poor me. It's no, nothing like that. No. But once you are bent out of shape through trauma and the world happening, things happen. Mm. Things happen to everybody. Um, it allows you to actually deal with it and step away from it and not be catastrophizing. Is there the a part of you that towards it though probably yes I think there is a as I say I look for a suicide mission somewhere in there yeah it's part of bottling out at the last minute or 
sabotaging something. And there's something going on. There's something going all the way through, through well, all the way through. And I really am more aware of myself now, and I try and protect myself from that. You know, try and have um, some boundaries. But still live in large. I mean, you, 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 I still, you, you, so you went into ter- you went into the priory then. Yeah, not for long. Clean week. Yeah. Okay. But then there was more just, to get out of the way. The cameras actually. <laughs> it's expensive way to do that. Yes. Could come to well, nothing compared to my wife. My wife was in for three years. She was all right, but she couldn't cope. Anyway, that was her story. My ex mum, late wife. Yeah. And then you, when 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 a newspaper comes out giving you the treatment son all that kind of stuff and you're on the receiving end of it as a media person you know who's been putting ads I'll tell you what was weird what was that like? about that is that I wrote their book called Essex Drugs and Rock and Roll which I published in 2008 after I came out of Big Brother in 2007 but I wrote it in 2004 and in that book the hero the lead character is bent out of shape and he loses all sense of fear and he does anything he wants. He does the best pitch ever done in an agency. But also he, he's a bit mad and he sleeps with his mother-in-law and his children take photographs of him and that gets published in News of the World in the book, which I wrote right. three years before. See, it's happened. something going on right? there, right? Yeah. And um, I even went back to the book, which hadn't been published at that point, but was, didn't exist, and thought as a strategy what I might do was what, I, what the character in the book did, which is, he goes into politics, right? Which I haven't done. Conservative party thing. Mm. Of course. And there's this picture of him with his mother-in-law in bed and on the front page of The Sun. And what he does is he takes a double-page spread out in The Sun the day before the expose, lists all the things he's ever done wrong. Everything. And it says... Who would you rather have represent you? We're up against the French and the Germans. Who would you rather have, an angel or the devil? Who would you rather be defending you? It's like Brexit. And the public goes, that's refreshing. Yeah, I don't want some bloke or woman who's got no experience of life. I'd rather have someone like this. And it gets voted in. So I seriously considered that. And then I thought, just get over it and take it. You know, my favourite piece of music is Nat King Cole face the music and dance and I thought just sing that bloody song face it and do it yeah. so I did and I just I thanked them for saving my life and just got on with it yeah. and I, whatever the mess was and it was horrible you know just face it and do do your best tell the truth do leopards change their spots? Um, no not fundamentally I'm still five apparently in my head which is why the other day was so painful I was on the tube a lady in her thirties was looking at me. I was thinking, oh, I've still got it. <laughs> and then she stood up and offered me her seat. And I thought, I'm going to kill myself. But in my head, I'm still five. I've so a leopard does change its spots because you do learn. You do learn coping mechanisms. You do learn how to view things with an aerial view about yourself and who you are. And you can spot patterns and yeah. aim off yeah. if you have the tools. And the first tool is awareness. Then I try and do that. But do I am still fundamentally the same thing. Do AA and all that? Yeah, I did everything. I was AA, sober for... Um, AA, going back to our first chat about God being kind of the core thing there. Well, then you, but you are, you're, you're allowed to define the high power yeah, as you wish. Yeah. And for me, it's a way of saying the world doesn't revolve around me. 
you know. So has that been what you've been doing, tamping ego? Would that be fair over the last while, trying to get your ego into shape? Partly, but also be more, be stronger in myself about, like I would would use people, take the mickey out of them in order to get a cheap laugh in a room. That kind of stuff, right down to that. Because the cheap laugh is more important than actually hurting someone. Yeah, yeah. And just being aware of my behaviour, how I think, knowing my own weaknesses, and I think it's a daily battle, but it's it's quite a constructive one. Yeah. Because I have more time in the present. Yeah. You know all this. You know, I have much no, more I've, time. I've, I've gone to appreciate my kids, and yeah. we spend a lot of time. Grandchild, my grandson's two today. Oh, happy birthday, Donny Durden. Donny Durden, he's going to be famous. Donny Melvin Durden. He's a gangster. Don't fuck with me. I'm Donny Durden. Yes, or he'll be a speedway racer. Something, it's a good name. <laughs> Not Donald, Donny. Yeah, right. You change his name to Donald if he's on speedway. And happy birthday, Donny. Happy birthday, Donny. Um, no, well, my one, and I've said it on the pod before, is I just start every day closing with, like, I want to be as kind as I can today. Because I was probably, I do take the mic, yeah. and I do like the laugh, but I never like the laugh if I really upset someone, if I really hurt someone mm. by getting that laugh. Because okay. it's unkind. Will I talk about someone behind their back who I don't know? with someone who I'm very friendly with yes I would hate them to hear me I'd hate them to be upset yeah. and yeah. I'd be more than happy for someone to take the piss out of my ponytail yeah. behind my back then to my face or whatever but yeah. you know I just like that kind of thing where you can just it's one word and if everyone just lived by that I mean screw religion that's the point I know Buddhism's got it right actually it's a it's a, it's a code desire, to live not religion removing desire as well it recognises that you're not going to be perfect yeah. and it just constrains the boundaries mm. And makes you more conscious. And I think that's a great code to, to live, live by. Yeah. There's a redemption. Rather than my God's bigger than your God. Uh-huh. And I'll kill you if you don't believe in mine. Yeah, I mean, it's <laughs> mad. There's a redemption downside to this, which I also picked up last year, right? You started getting involved with... This was 2015. Uh, the yeah. charities. Yeah. It was all about me as usual. So I made a list of... Like, I, I came back into the workplace and I was finding it difficult to not be sending out signals of doubt because I'm in my 50s what am I, what, who am I what do I do now? so I decided to self-diagnose and not go into therapy or anything like that and I made a list of everything I'm scared of so it was a random list being a passenger in a car crying in public holding a baby Africa for some reason a bit scary insects as well Like it's like when you're looking for a new car and you make a list. And now on that list, top of that list might be a Volvo XC60. Mm-hmm. Suddenly, every Volvo XC60 on the road is shouting at you yeah, as they go past. Mm-hmm. Because your awareness radar is up. Same thing with this. And within three weeks, I'd met a lady called Lucy Buck, who ironically had been working at Endemol when I was in the house, but we'd never met. But she'd gone on to, to establish and found... Um, she couldn't be saying this an orphanage because it isn't actually an orphanage it looks after abandoned babies in Uganda many of which have AIDS and I talked to her and three weeks later I'm landing in Kampala there's nothing about this I wanted to do and I wasn't there to save the world one of the things I said to myself was I was going to shut the hell up not start throwing money around you know giving people anything not get in the way my, my first priority I was sleeping on the floor with the other uh, social workers under a net 
because of the mosquitoes and going out going out into the wilds of outside of Kampala to see 15 year old mothers with babies in a shed with no light and all this sort of stuff or people with six kids and the mother died it was was absolutely amazing holding holding babies you know they were amazing there were two little boys as I walked up to the home who stood at the gates and shouted at me daddy I thought these kids are brilliant this is the best marketing campaign I've ever seen they were four yeah daddy daddy but the whole premise of Child's Eye which is the charity is not to um, effectively be paid to export children to America for adoption but to put the babies back into the communities from where they came either back with their parents it can be the grandmother the auntie or just within the community and they've got phenomenal success at doing that it was very humbling and obviously I raised money from afterwards to say thank you and to do my best but it, for me it rebooted my head and from that moment on I have been inundated with work it was like doing chanting meditation it shuts up the noisy bit that keeps you awake at night and lets the other bit of your head go thank fuck he's gone and sort it out for you and this did that for me what's next for you? Um, well I, I did launch um, a men's grooming product oh, yes. company so called Below the Belt was in, yeah. um, is it for downstairs grooming yeah. right and we deserve products that are designed for our anatomy because our anatomy is a crap design so right. this is a, it's mainly a depilatory cream from it is it it's called Fresh and Dry it's right. Below the Belt is the brand yeah Fresh and Dry Balls Instant Clean Balls which yeah. is a pump spray yeah. if you can't get to a shower so no a festival that's what we had as one of our ads online. Very Thanks. Perfect. Your balls are safe in our hands. Perfect. Uh, as a end line. Have you gone down the nuts route? Because you can go. The oh, I've done nuts. Yeah, yeah. 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 We yeah. did uh, Jockitch as well yeah. during Wimbledon, which was great. Right. Um, the problem is that we are carrying the entire weight of explaining a new sector, and I underestimated that. I underestimated that memories do not stretch back to talcum powder. People don't know that that's what men did. So you have to do the whole job. And we are a privately funded First one to market business. if they're clever, usually owns it. No, it's not the case when it's um, a whole that's sector. That's just come wading in. That's what I need. Yeah. I would love that. To buy you, which, which Dollar, no, Shave Club, Dollar Shave Club got bought by Yeah, I know, a billion. Yeah. But we had a bigger purpose, which was to um, celebrate modern men. Yeah to represent things that men should have, but we are completely ignored. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to invent the hubby hub. And that is 42% of all marriages break, usually around the age of 40 or 42. Men usually leave the household and the children are left with the mum. Fair enough, but men leave paranoid that their children are going to be poisoned against them. Some other Often moving with the first person they meet or a studio flat or back with mum and dad. So I thought, well, I know Regis, I know we work. Where are the places where men could go for six months as a pit stop, be with other men they don't know, like on a long-distance yeah. flight? You're on your own if you're on a long-distance flight. You ignore the person next to you mm-hmm. for two hours, and then you look at your watch and you think, eight more hours, hello, I'm Jonathan, how are you? And you talk. Yeah. By the time you get off the plane, you know more about each other than anyone on earth. By the time you get to baggage, you can't remember what they look like. These are places where people who... doesn't have to be divorced, but classically would be a few of the 
you would go, you would be with strangers. Attached to it would be lawyers, mediators, psychiatrists, psychotherapists. You have privacy, you have places your kids can come visit you, and a big shared kitchen in the middle in my head. But you can only stay six months, and then you have to go out. But you get kinder, quicker. Your friends stop pitying you, start envying you. That sort of thing, which is a male yeah. requirement. I mean, over nearly half of all marriages break, yeah. and there's no thought for what happens to the, yeah. the classically the man. And they're afraid to talk to their friends. Yeah, they're because they hold it against you. Yeah, but they feel embarrassed. Yeah, but strangers going through a similar thing. You can watch Bake Off together, cry together, and football. And arguably, it would That's reduce what I mean. the amount of violence towards women as yes. well. And it would. That's what I'm know, just saying. Yeah, exactly, I, I yeah, think yeah. it's. That's such an obvious thing. Yeah, and, yeah. and my company starts with bollocks because it, no one talks about balls. Mm. It's forgotten unless somebody wants to get pregnant. Or it's not on the yeah, agenda. They're not but they're not particularly to pleasant at, to look at or anything else. George Clooney's had his race. Or, uh, Has he really? Yeah. George Clooney. George must have gone. I don't know. All right, I don't really want to know, but I read it. I know, but like, you wouldn't expect him. You'd expect him to be sitting here with us. All I'm saying is it's not anti anybody else. And it's not poor men. It's just looking at it and saying, okay, what, what do we need in this modern day? But I'm not, I haven't got the money for that now. The government needs to kind of do some of that though as well. It's, definitely. It's, it's like a, I, I would love to be involved in that. NHS I'd love to be involved in yeah. that. But yeah, that kind of aspiration is a genuine one rather than posturing. Would you like a statue made of you? No, I don't really want to be remembered. Really? No, what's the point? I'm mean, just enjoying being here, thanks. Right. That's enough. I'm not looking for a legacy. I would like to do some good in the world. One of my things about charities, for instance, is there's a charity in the book which uses children's paintings and sells them from weird parts of the world. There's a story on the back, and it's all got trustees to make sure no one's setting out sweatshops. But Athena died out many years ago, and art is too ethereal for most people to have the nerve to go to a gallery. But online, if you get children's art from around the world, this one's from... Tehran, this is Afghanistan. There's a story attached to it and it goes with the curtains. And that money goes back to the communities. The thing I love about that and the thing I hate about charity advertising is the blackmail of, here's a donkey that's carrying too much, look, it's crippled. Here's a poor baby drinking shit in water. But it's too much. It's too much blackmail and emotion. And I think charities should consider the idea of selling things that people want and need and use the profits for charity. So it becomes self-sustaining yeah, yeah. and not begging. I worked with Brand A Project in, in, in Haiti. We, were, we went in there we, before the earthquake, actually. We actually had to abandon when the earthquake happened because the place was full of charity. People. Right. But it was just taking like these uh, these guys who, who, who temper old oil cans in the fire and then they make them into these beautiful sort of mirrors and stuff like that and we branded them that's great put them online see and you know they're making them for the tourists that aren't in Haiti right? exactly but also you're doing some good yeah yeah. you're getting what you want you yeah. feel good yeah you know I mean, I've yeah, been I, working I, I, on a business called yeah. Charity Bank which is collects instead of you having to go to a charity shop we come to you with yeah. Uber yeah and, and your stuff you can, you can say which Why charities do that? because I'm genius but they're not I'm not genius either, by the way. Yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Like, wanker. Why don't Uber just I know. add that to their CSR? I'm just saying, but there's so many ideas out there, mate. All right. What do you say to your... Uh, which one will we pick? The one that's under the table thinking. What do you say to him? Um, 
would say to have faith, actually. So going back to religion, oh, no, yeah. it's not faith. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. God. <laughs> it would have been a lovely I'm round I'm not joking, God. It would have been a lovely rounded circle. Yeah, it would. I love that whole thing at the end of AA meetings or NA meetings and whatever, you know, that grant me the wisdom to not try and change the things I cannot change. Yeah, yeah. That, for me, gives you focus to actually do the things you can do yeah. and hope that the, the, the world will come your way. And, you know, actually that faith, in it doesn't always work out, but it's quite exciting and no one else cares. It's only you. Links to his book and his charity and his hubby hub and his new uh, bollock, bollock department products are listed with the third podcast. Thank you very much for being on the show. Thank you for your honesty on the way that we did it. There may be trouble ahead, but while there's moonlight and music and love and romance, but let's face the music and dance before the fiddlers have fled, before they ask us to pay the bill. And while we still have the chance, let's face the music and dance. Soon we'll be without the moon, humming a different tune. And then there may be teardrops to shed. So while there's moonlight and music and love and romance, Let's face the music and dance. Let's face the music and dance. Humming a different tune And then There may be teardrops to shed So while there's moonlight and music And love and romance Let's face the music And dance Let's face the music